0: Section 31 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Oregon, its history, geography, and resources by John H. Mitchell. The Exploration of Lewis and Clark gray's discovery and the purchase of louisiana territory were quickly followed by scientific exploration on the part of the government of the united states as also by settlement on the part of its citizens the expedition of lewis and clark organized before and sent out immediately after the consummation of the louisiana purchase was one of the most daring difficult dangerous and at the same time successful of all expeditions of which history either of this or any other country gives record. There seems to be some difference in statements of historians as to the number composing that expedition. According to Barrows, it consisted of 28 persons in all, Lewis and Clark, nine young Kentuckians, 14 United States soldiers, two Canadian voyagers and one Negro, the body servant of Captain Clark, according however to the probably accurate notes of dr Coos to his new edition of the history of that expedition it consisted of forty-five men from missouri to the mandan country and of thirty-two including lewis and clark thereafter across the continents the others returning from that point as was the original program captains lewis and clark were commissioned by president jefferson to explore the river missouri and its principal branches to their sources and then to seek to trace to its termination in the pacific some river whether the columbia the oregon the colorado or any other which might offer the most direct practicable water communication across the continent for the purpose of commerce the time occupied by these courageous men in consummating the important and hazardous duty assigned them by their government was two years four months and nine days and during this time they traveled more than nine thousand miles through an unbroken and trackless wilderness the start was made may fourteenth eighteen oh four from their camp on the mississippi near the mouth of the missouri and returning they reached st louis september twenty third eighteen oh six they discovered the headwaters of the missouri and of the columbia and followed the waters of the latter until they landed at cape disappointment at the mouth of the columbia in oregon november fifteenth eighteen o five they remained there in camp until march twenty third eighteen o six when they commenced the ascent of the columbia in their canoes on their return trip the hardships experienced by these brave men and by the courageous pioneers men and women who in the next half century followed in their footsteps and brave the innumerable dangers and hardships of the far west have never been nor can they be fully depicted by either pen or tongue to them are the people of america greatly indebted for they have hewn out with willing hands borne on stalwart shoulders and set with stability in its everlasting resting-place the foundation stone of one of the grandest pillars upon which in part rests to-day the superb superstructure of american development and american civilization how strangely pathetic in the history and how peculiar are the vicissitudes surrounding the lives of some men captain meriwether lewis after passing through all the untold hardships and perils of that memorable expedition returned to serve a brief time as governor of the northwestern territory and then to find a lonely grave in the forests of tennessee either as ophelo d'essay or as the victim of the hand of an assassin just which history has never definitely determined not only by succession of every right which both france and spain had to this territory either in virtue of occupation or otherwise not only by the right of sovereignty which attaches to the discoverer of a new country nor yet by those rights which follow in the wake of scientific exploration did the government of the united states rest its claim to the territory of oregon but added to all these is that other accumulated right which is the result not merely of occupancy but of actual settlement the law of nations recognizes a wide distinction between those rights which attach to mere occupancy and those which attach to actual settlement the natives of this territory in their wild uncivilized state are mere occupants mere tenants they are not settlers the hudson bay trappers and traders who invaded oregon territory in pursuit of peltries and furs were more occupants similar in all respects in light of the law in regard to territorial rights which result from such occupancy as those which attach to the indians they were not settlers within the legal signification of that term nor did they attract to themselves those territorial or sovereign rights which the law accords to settlers the interests of civilization says the law of that civilization cannot permit a great empire of wild country to remain as such for the use of wild men for a game life no less could the law of that civilization permit this great foreign monopoly the hudson bay company to occupy such country for the sole purpose of accumulating and speculating on the spoils of the hunter and without any effort whatever to either develop or increase the natural productions of the country or locate or promote a single settlement it was therefore by mere occupancy and not by settlement that england sought originally to strengthen her claim to and acquire rights in the oregon territory with the united states and the people of the united states it was entirely different with the latter occupancy was coupled with that other and higher attribute of development and civilization namely scientific exploration and actual settlement esther's project contemplated not merely occupancy of this distant territory for purposes similar to the hudson bay company his purposes were of much higher order they embraced settlement the establishment of civil society the physical development of the country the leveling of the forests the construction of houses the cultivation of land the building of homes the erection of schoolhouses and churches the making of towns and cities the establishing of marts the creation of commercial arteries and in a word the establishment of such civil institutions as would tend to attach the new territory with bonds indissoluble to the states of the american union and thus weaken and finally forever sever every adverse claim and at the same time expand and develop the country and the commercial and political prestige and power of the nation Irving in his Astoria summarizes the plans and expectations of Astor in these words he considered his projected establishment at the mouth of the Columbia as the emporium to an immense commerce as a colony that would form the germ of a wide civilization that would in fact carry the American population across the Rocky Mountains and spread it along the shores of the Pacific as it already animated the shores of the atlantic it was prompted by such impulses and with an aim of such results that the town of astoria was established by astor in eighteen eleven the war of eighteen twelve coming on the english captured astoria hauled down the american flag hoisted the english ensign and changed the name of the fort from astoria to fort george but at the close of the war in eighteen eighteen it was restored to the united states by a treaty which stipulated the restoration of all territory places and possessions whatsoever taken by either party from the other during the war in this restoration the english denominated it the settlement and however many may have been the occupants of this country or those employed by the hudson bay company prior to that this was unquestionably the first permanent settlement made by white men in the valley of the columbia or in the territory of oregon and this was by american citizens the claim therefore to prior settlement of oregon territory now comprising the whole of the states of oregon washington and idaho and part of montana can rightfully attach only to the united states it is doubtless true that the two winship brothers of boston are the men who really made the first attempt at settlement on columbia river after gray's discovery they sailed from boston july seventh eighteen o nine in two ships the okane of which jonathan was captain and the albatross of which nathan was master the okane went direct to california while the albatross went to sandwich islands and thence to columbia river arriving there with fifty men on board early in the spring of eighteen ten the vessel proceeded up the river a distance of forty miles opposite to the place now known as oak point where they disembarked cleared a small tract of land erected a building and planted vegetables all of which however were demolished and swept away by the june floods of the same year when captain nathan winship re-embarked with his men joined his brother in california and learning of astor's expedition never returned that great britain operating through diverse influential channels notably the hudson bay company reinforced as it was in eighteen twenty one by consolidation with the canadian northwest company of montreal exerted a most formidable power against the settlement of oregon territory by americans the waves of whose influence reached washington and for a time threatened the loss of the whole territory is an historic fact well established that daniel webster as secretary of state was by these influences at one time convinced that the whole territory was an unbroken waste of sandy deserts impassable mountains and impenetrable jungles there can be no room for doubt these powerful influences had been operating in diverse ways prior to eighteen forty two for more than a third of a century their effect on the individual and public mind in the east and on the official mind as well in washington was marked in the highest degree that webster as secretary of state had seriously contemplated including the whole of this territory in the ashburton treaty and subsequently in a separate treaty in exchange to great britain for certain cod fisheries in newfoundland is beyond question the insidious and powerfully effective influences and the remarkably successful aggressions of the hudson bay company are best illustrated by the triumphs it achieved in the face of what seemed insurmountable obstacles although its original charter dates back to charles ii of england in 1670 by which it was granted certain important rights 40 years prior to that a similar charter had been granted to the canadian northwest fur company by louis the 13th of france Prior to 1821, this company was, in numbers, capital, influence, and power, vastly superior to, and a most formidable rival of, the Hudson Bay Company. Yet the latter, notwithstanding all this, through its superior management and great diplomacy, compelled the former in 1821 to yield to and accept its own terms as to union and consolidation and from that day the hudson bay company thus reinforced in capital numbers and influence and in the number and extent of its outposts directed all its vast energies and immense powers to wrest from the united states and obtain eventually for great britain the whole of oregon territory the error of our government in treating for joint occupancy but notwithstanding these superior rights on the part of the united states in virtue not only of occupancy but also of scientific exploration and settlement entitling this country to exclusive sovereign rights in the whole of oregon territory the fact that the hudson bay company had extended its operations into that region and was engaged in trade there with the indians induced our government to make the fatal mistake of entering into a treaty with great britain in eighteen eighteen providing for joint occupancy for a period of ten years this stipulation was extended indefinitely by another treaty with great britain in eighteen twenty seven promulgated may fifteenth eighteen twenty eight these treaties however were not intended nor did they or either of them in any manner attempt to determine the respective sovereign claims of the united states and great britain or in fact those of any other government to this territory they were intended only as expressly stated in the treaty, to prevent disputes and differences among the occupants of that territory. That the government of the United States made a fearful mistake in ever consenting to treaty stipulation that Great Britain should, through its subjects, occupy Oregon territory jointly with our citizens for a period of 28 years, instead of standing in 1817 on our rights as sovereign and insisting that they should be respected is now generally conceded the value of the furs of which that country was stripped by the hudson bay company in that time was immense amounting to many millions of dollars in the four years 1834 to 1837 the hudson bay company alone killed in that region oregon territory over three million five hundred thousand fur-bearing animals including beaver marten, otter fox muskrat bear ermine fichu lynx mink wolf badger and raccoon the american fur traders could not compete with the hudson bay company as all the supplies of the latter came in duty free but the fact that by the joint occupancy this great monopoly was enabled to strip the country of its wealth was as nothing compared to the powerfully hostile influence it constantly exerted against the settlement of the country by americans and the foothold it afforded great britain enabling that power to successfully postpone for nearly a century the final settlement of the question as to our rights and which in the end compelled us to compromise and deprived us of that vast extent of territory lying between the forty-ninth parallel and fifty four degrees forty minutes the rocky mountains and the pacific ocean thomas h benton and many other leading men denounced this policy of joint occupation said senator benton in eighteen forty five referring to the treaty of joint occupation i have been clear against joint occupation for twenty eight years as a treaty of unmixed mischief to the united states Historians agree that this company stripped Oregon territory of furs of the value of over one million dollars annually, amounting to perhaps thirty millions of dollars in the twenty-eight years of joint occupancy. The political historian J. Henry Brown, himself an Oregon pioneer of 1846, in referring to this matter in his Political History of Oregon, says, our government could have well afforded to have given a bonus of ten million dollars and settled the question in eighteen eighteen then to cap the climax our government was again swindled in the treaty of eighteen forty six by agreeing to pay an unknown bill to that greatest of frauds and swindles the puget sound agricultural company to the tune of four hundred fifty thousand dollars on account of possessory rights and claims of the Hudson Bay Company, and on account of possessory rights of the Puget Sound Agricultural Company, the sum of $200,000, a total of $650,000. A nice commentary on American sagacity, statesmanship, and diplomacy. The Long Contest of Joint Occupancy. It was the entirely too-ready disposition on the part of our government at the outset in 1824, 1826, and 1829 to compromise our rights in the Oregon Territory, which resulted eventually in a loss to this country of territory, the value of which cannot be estimated. Both Presidents Tyler and Polk were handicapped by the offer of settlement made to Great Britain under former administrations, in which the government had consented from time to time to a compromise on the forty-ninth parallel this then was the status of the territory of oregon from the date of our treaty with great britain in eighteen eighteen until our treaty of eighteen forty six a period of twenty-eight years it was one of joint occupancy in virtue of treaty stipulation between the two countries and it was during these twenty-eight years that the great battle as to the ultimate ownership of Oregon, was fought and won. It was not wholly, though in part, a warfare of men on the field of carnage. It was a mighty, a prolonged, in one sense a physical and in another sense diplomatic, contest between the vanguards of two civilizations and of two mighty nations, each contending with the other for the supremacy, and each also with the uncivilized bloodthirsty savages whose country was being invaded though for their civilization and ultimate good such was the political status emphasized by treaty stipulation as to induce the belief on the part of great britain that the ultimate right to the whole territory would be determined not so much by the question as to priority of discovery exploration and settlement but rather by the character an extent of settlement in the years that should intervene before the final decision should be made by arbitration or otherwise during this period two purposes seemed to inspire the government of great britain as a means of ultimately securing to herself the absolute ownership of the whole of the vast oregon territory one was to impress on our public men and government at washington in every possible manner the alleged worthlessness of the territory the other was to push forward unremittingly through the instrumentality of the great governmental organ the hudson bay company actual settlements in the territory that they succeeded in very large degree in oppressing many of the prominent officials of our government that the whole territory was a worthless waste not worth having much less worth contending for as made clearly apparent from the congressional debates during the twenty-eight years of joint occupancy did time permit it might be interesting in view of what the state of oregon is today physically commercially socially and politically to recite some of the statements made in these debates i will quote a few extracts senator McDuffie of south carolina in discussing in the united states senate in eighteen forty three the bill of senator lynn of missouri extending the laws of the united states over the territory of oregon and proposing grants of the public lands to american citizens as an inducement to settlers which bill passed the senate february third eighteen forty three said the whole region beyond the rocky mountains and a vast tract between that chain and the mississippi is a desert without value for agricultural purposes and which no american citizen should be compelled to inhabit unless as punishment for crime why sir of what use will this territory be for agricultural purposes i would not for that purpose give a pinch of snuff for the whole territory i wish to god we did not own it i wish it was an impassable barrier to secure us from the intrusion of others this is the character of the country who are we going to send there do you think your honest farmers in pennsylvania new york or even ohio and missouri will abandon their farms to go upon any such enterprise as this god forbid if any man is to go to that country under the temptation of this bill mr McDuffie concluded by saying if i had a son who was a fit subject for botany bay i would urge him to go there the historians of the time were laboring under this fearful delusion as to the character and value of oregon greenhow writing in eighteen forty four in his history of oregon california after stating his knowledge and views as to the region included in the oregon territory says thus on reviewing the agricultural commercial and other economical advantages of oregon there appears to be no reason founded on such considerations which should render either the powers claiming the possession of that country anxious to occupy it immediately or unwilling to concede its own pretensions to the other for a very moderate compensation even senator benton of missouri who subsequently became one of the great defenders of our rights in oregon though unfortunately never to the full extent of our rightful claim to territory in the north but only to the forty-ninth parallel as late as eighteen twenty five regarded oregon as not worth holding in that year he and his place in the senate said the ridge of the rocky mountains may be named as a convenient natural and everlasting boundary along this ridge the western limits of the republic should be drawn and the statue of the fabled god terminus should be erected on its highest peak never to be thrown down thanks to dr whitman and other pioneer heroes whose names and memories are rightfully forever embalmed in the affections of every true american the western limits of the republic were not drawn on the ridge of the rocky mountains the fabled god terminus was never stationed there providence had willed it otherwise and a brave and courageous people executed that will though those mountains are high and rocky and seemingly insurmountable they were neither high enough nor rocky enough to impress discouragement on the minds or hearts of such dauntless men and women as whitman and his wife and their followers or to stem the irresistible tide of the pioneer immigration of these resolute and determined men and women who by their incomparable courage and untold sufferings settled the oregon question for the great historic fact is that prior to whitman's visit to washington to which i shall presently allude the sentiment among public men was almost universal that oregon was a worthless waste not worth contending for some in fact never did learn or comprehend its great value as late as eighteen forty six senator winthrop of massachusetts quoted what benton had said in eighteen twenty five and then remarked this country will not be straightened for elbow-room in the west for a thousand years and neither the west nor the country at large has any real interest in retaining oregon the influence of the hudson bay company the hudson bay company through whose active influence this false sentiment was mainly created was in every essential sense the direct active and all-powerful agent of the british government it held its charter and its licenses from that government its officers were superintended by a governor and deputy governor and a committee of directors resident in london while a resident governor superintended and directed its fast operations in america the officers and members of the hudson bay company were as a rule under the domination of the home government one grand exception however stands out in history dr john McLaughlin, who was the true friend of the american pioneer brave generous noble his house his larder his horses his cattle were all at the service of the poor, travel-worn, weary, and discouraged immigrant. But for this disposition and these noble qualities, he was ostracized by the company and the British government driven into exile at Oregon City, there to end his days yet respected, venerated, honored by the pioneers of Oregon and all who knew him and his history." End of section 31